0: This is The Guardian.
1: I'm Laura Murphy Oates, and this is The Full Story. The state of Queensland was seen as a decisive factor in Labor's defeat in 2019, largely due to the party's messaging on coal and climate change. While Labor is hoping to gain back some of these seats this time around, Guardian Australia's Queensland correspondent Ben Smee says the political landscape has changed over the past few years. The rise of the Greens and the minor parties, the impact of natural disasters and an evolving view on the transition from coal to renewables in rural seats means that some key seats could shift in ways that are hard to predict. Today, with a new political climate, can Labor win back seats in Queensland? It's Wednesday, the 11th of May. So, Ben, we know that Queensland was a huge part of the story of Labor's defeat during the last federal election in 2019. Can you break down why and whether that political environment has changed much since
0: then? So, as we know, the last election, 2019, Queensland was a disaster for Labor. They achieved a primary vote across the state of just 26.7%. And out of 30 seats, they only managed to win six it was a party's worst result in the House of Reps since 1975. Mm. There's a 4.3% swing against them statewide. And what the LNP did really successfully in 2019 was to point out to voters in regional Queensland that, hey, it looks like Labor are seeing one thing in inner city seats when it comes to coal, when it comes to climate, when it comes to the Adani project, which was really big at that time. And they're telling you another thing around coal mm. and it was the, the fact that people didn't necessarily feel that they trusted what they were hearing from their local candidates uh, and when Labor politicians came to town that was really, uh, I, I think, the, the bedrock of this anti-Labor sentiment from 2019.
1: Right, so is it any different this time heading into May 21st? I,
0: I think from what I've seen and heard, the conversation up here in Queensland is a lot different to what it was three years ago. And Danni was a very live project back in 2019 and it really did contribute to these significant swings away from labour. And, and now Dani's gone ahead, there's not the same kind of live concern about it and there's not, it's not sort of shaping the discussion in the same way that it did. Mm. But conversations around climate have matured in a lot of these places. There is now a more complex conversation that is happening.
1: Right, so the conversation has changed somewhat, but what about the significance? of Queensland. How important is this state to the roadmap to government for Labour or the coalition?
0: You know, Labour needs to gain seven seats to form majority government. And 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 there is a path to victory for Labour that results in them winning no seats, making absolutely no gains in Queensland, uh, you know, and where they they pick up seats elsewhere. But that's not to say that there aren't seats in play in Queensland. And there's certainly um, some very, very interesting contests. But if you talk to people in Labor, they're certainly tempering their expectations that Queensland might be the, uh, you know, where the election is won or lost.
1: Mm, it's not the be all and end all, but you say there's some interesting contests. What are they? What kind of seats should we be keeping an eye on?
0: In the inner city, Labor is really eyeing off Brisbane, which is held by Liberal Trevor Evans on about a 4.9% margin, and Ryan, which is in the inner west of Brisbane, um, held by Julian Simmons on a 6% margin. Labor really has hopes of clinching both of those seats. It would need the help of Greens' preferences, although the Greens' um Really think that they're in play in both of those places as well. They're pretty typical kind of inner city contests where you're likely to have, you know, a mix of uh, support for the LNP, Labor, and the Greens, and a kind of complex kind of preference flow situation. Mm. And also in in inner city Brisbane is the seat of Griffith. Now that is held by Labor, uh, by Labor's environment spokeswoman uh, Terry Butler. But it's a seat that the Greens are pouring a huge amount of resources in, and that they do believe that there are a good chance of winning there. It will again be another three-way contest between the Greens, the LNP and Labor. Hmm. From there you have outer suburban seats like Longman uh, in sort of the northern fringe of Brisbane, which has changed hands quite a few times. It's always been thought of a real bellwether sort of seat that will usually be one of the ones that determines who holds government. It's chopped and changed but is currently held by the LNP's Terry Young on about a 3.3% margin.
1: Right, so a couple of inner city seats that Labor's eyeing off, but so are the Greens. What about the regional areas, Ben? Where are people focusing on?
0: Yeah, I I think there are a couple of interesting contests regionally. There's the seat of Flynn, uh, which is centred around Gladstone, but it's a huge seat, takes in a huge number of different towns and agricultural areas and mining areas. It's on an 8.7% margin, which makes the task challenging, but a lot of that, I think he's put down to the big swing against Labor from last time around. Um, there's also, I think, a really interesting contest in the seat of Leichhardt in far north Queensland. Um, it's held by Warren Ench from the LNP. He's a very, very long-term member. Um, he was going to retire, but has ended up sticking around. But But there is a small margin there. And I think it is a seat that Labor feels like they could pick up. Mm. So what we're talking about is sort of are really, really different sorts of seats in different parts of the state and mm. kind of remains to be seen uh, whether there'll be that much change up here. But it, it's also a situation where you could have one or two of these seats swing to Labor and the others go in the opposite direction. Mm. Ultimately, at the very least, Labor's looking at kind of swings of 4 or 5% needed before they flip any seats over in Queensland. Can I start by grabbing your names? Carmen. 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 K-M-O-N. So,
1: Ben, you have been out and about travelling around Queensland talking to voters in this seat. I'm walking around with a
0: photographer. I don't know, he's just up the street a bit. You wouldn't mind if we took a photo? Or...
1: Can you tell me a bit about where you've been and what you've learned speaking to voters?
0: Yeah, so I live in Brisbane, so I went all around the seat of Brisbane. And I also drove all the way out through the seat of Flynn to places like Gladstone and Emerald just wanting to kind of get a handle on who, who people are going to vote for. But as much as anything, like, what are the things that are going to sway their vote? What sorts of conversations are happening in these sorts of places?
2: Looking at policies that address inequality, whether it's housing or education or just access to healthcare.
3: I don't know. It's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? It's a tricky election to...
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> and it's, it's very important. It's like it's, I keep saying to people, do not donkey, donkey vote this year. This is not
0: the year that you do that.
1: Okay, let's start with Brisbane. Tell me about who you spoke to there.
0: The seat of Brisbane itself takes in the CBD and the inner northern suburbs of Brisbane. Seafield's a bit harder to pigeonhole than inner city electorates in other major capitals. Um, in Sydney or Melbourne, you would have 10 seats covering the same sort of diversity of areas that you've got in, in Brisbane. We've got um, apartment dwellers in the CBD and Fortitude Valley. You've got this sort of trendy, leafy areas like New Farm and Paddington, and then sort of Affluent, probably liberal leading suburbs like Clayfield, Ascot, Hendra. Mm. So it's changed hands a few times in recent decades, but since 2010, it's been held by the Liberal National Party. Um, the incumbent Trevor Evans was a former National Retail Association boss, and he's a relatively moderate liberal and was first elected in 2016. Mm. Evans holds Brisbane by 4.9%, but it's become a really key target for both Labor, um, which is pre-selected local businesswoman Madonna Jarrett, and the Greens candidate, um, sales assistant and social science graduate Stephen Bates.
1: Mm. So you went out onto the streets speaking to the people of the Brisbane electorate. What sorts of issues were on their mind and might decide their vote?
0: I think one of the main issues that came up was climate change. I mean, this is a place where when you're walking around, you can still see tide marks from where the water came through from the floods just three months ago. Mm. You know, there are parts of the city that are still closed. You've got temporary fences up around parks. There are some schools that are still closed. People are physically witnessing and experiencing what are most
4: likely the effects of man-made climate change. They've got to take notice of that, and
0: it has to affect their, their, their thinking now. Yep. And it is. That is the physical hallmarks of climate change.
1: Mm.
0: Um, so, John, your surname? Pittendry. 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 Yeah. Can you spell it for us? I can. It, yeah, thank <laughs> yeah. you. P-I-T-T. One person I spoke to was John Pittendry. He's a bike shop owner from Rosalie in Brisbane's northern suburbs. There was obviously water through the shop. Can, yeah. can you just talk us through what? Oh,
4: yeah. Yeah. We got about um, 1.2 metres of water through here. It was kind of like flash flood type water. It wasn't river water that we had. It was very clean, but nevertheless, it was
0: water. (laughs) John told me he won't vote for either of the major parties over inaction or a lack of ambition to deal with climate change. And I get a bit tired of hearing the powers that be say that
4: we can't afford to, to go to, you know, net zero commitments. Um, because can we afford to cope with floods like this every few years, fires like we've had every few years,
0: and then just say, oh, isn't this unfortunate that this has happened? One of the things that that political types often talk about with climate change is that it's not like a kitchen table issue, you know, not one of those really kind of existential things that really matters to people at the end of the day. They might care about climate change, but does it affect their vote? And the reality is, is that climate change is a kitchen table issue if your kitchen table's floating down the street. We can't just bury our heads in the sand Mm. and not have a plan
4: to um, lead you out of the economic pain that is going to come inevitably, as the world turns away from fossil fuels.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate <laughs> having the chat. That's um...
4: right. And
1: was this common outside of John? These types of concerns?
0: Absolutely. Another person I spoke to was Cindy Richards. Yeah, we're trying to. you live locally. Yeah, two minutes walk from here. Two minutes walk from here. So- So Cindy told me she's a real environmentalist.
2: I pick up rubbish along the river every day, and especially with the floods. Um,
0: Since the floods, she's been picking up rubbish every day along the river. She's not 100% sure on her vote yet, but the Liberal Party's track record on the environment means she won't be voting for the local Liberal candidate.
1: Oh, easy, that's why I don't
0: vote for him. Yeah, OK, so you won't vote for him because of that yet?
1: But I still follow him more than other politicians. Right, so climate change is a big issue. What else came up with the people that you spoke to, Ben?
0: I think like a lot of places around Australia, the rising cost of living and housing are really on people's minds. Oh, like petrol prices, I mean. Petrol prices and then. And what we're paying,
1: like every time we've moved into a new apartment, we end up in a smaller ap- apartment but paying way more.
0: Like. It's yeah. just paying... I spoke to Harrison Monday and Alyssa Anamoto, um, a young couple who recently moved to Brisbane from the Gold Coast last year. And like a lot of places, Brisbane is undergoing a, a rental crisis. There's a rising cost of living and the rising cost of housing also means that it's really hard for young people to enter the housing yeah, market. so who you might vote for or is that still undecided at this point? Or? Probably undecided. Um, yeah, I probably should look into Federal. it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, so. Harrison and Alyssa also weren't sure who they would vote for yet, but they said their votes could be influenced by whoever has good policies on housing and the cost of living. Yeah, better chances
1: for young people to buy
0: houses and things like that. We are looking to buy all those things. And then, since the onset of the pandemic, Queensland has seen a relatively large influx of interstate migration. So you've got a lot of people like Marcus Hoffa and Kamen Mincher Owen. So you've just moved up to Brisbane from Byron Bay? Yes. Yeah.
5: You just start fresh. Yeah. You, know, you sell one house in Byron and you can buy five here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and as I heard from a lot of people who had moved to the electorate, they're bringing their politics with them. Is oh, it, is I would
2: it, always vote for the Greens. So yep. I've always voted for the Greens in Byron.
0: And while there are a lot of new voters um, moving into the area, this is a Liberal seat, and there are Liberal voters here.
4: Let's not change
5: schemes halfway through at the moment. I'm, yep. a, bit, I'm a bit concerned about change Labor, if Labor went in.
0: Yeah. Daniel Lightfoot, another voter I spoke to, said that he would be a bit concerned about switching to Labor. He said he's not completely happy with Scott Morrison, but nobody's perfect. They say you now he's tells few lies. Who doesn't tell white fist You know. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um,
1: right. So that's the inner seat of Brisbane. But broadly, is it looking likely that Labor could pick up this seat and some of these other metropolitan seats? Only a week or so out from. May 21st.
0: Yeah, it certainly is possible that Labor could do that. One of the things that will probably determine the way that they shake out is the Greens. Mm. There was a recent poll that showed the Greens having um, something like 18% of the vote statewide in Queensland at the moment. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, and while a lot of that's concentrated or would be concentrated on on inner Brisbane, something that kind of bucks some of that kind of conservative narrative about Queensland. But, you know, it's also very possible that these metropolitan seats could go to the Greens instead of Labor. Um, They're really shaping up as as three-way contests. Then, you know, I guess as you move further out um, of Brisbane, you have seats that are more traditional kind of Labor LMP contests like Longman, um, which is sort of in the outer north.
1: Okay, so moving out of metropolitan Brisbane, I want to hear about your trip to Flynn where I imagine there are a lot of jobs based around the coal industry. Tell me about the the makeup of this seat.
0: Yeah, so Flynn covers more than 132,000 square kilometres of central Queensland. It's it's really diverse country. So, you go from a place like Gladstone, which is an industrial and very unionised sort of labour voting sort of city. Gladstone's the largest population centre and it's home to about a third of Flynn's enrolled voters. And you go out into sort of agricultural communities, you know, big towns, smaller towns, tiny towns. You've got broadacre farms, coal seam gas drilling, and you've got the southern end of the Queensland coalfields. The federal member for Flynn, Ken O'Dowd, is retiring and running in his place for the LNP is Colin Boyce, who's a state member of parliament in Queensland. And Labor has chosen the popular Gladstone mayor, Matt Burnett. Mm. The seat was one of the country's most marginal before the 2019 election, but is now held by the LNP by about 8%.
1: So tell me about the city of Gladstone, which, as you said, is at the heart of this electorate. What do we need to know about the political history and and landscape there?
0: I think Gladstone's one of those places where conversations around climate change and coal and a transition away from fossil fuel industries are really front and center. Mm. You have a, a big coal-fired power station in Gladstone, which then powers an aluminium refinery. In the port of Gladstone is a massive LNG export port. It's sort of a multi-commodity port, but um, you know there's been a real kind of boom and bust in the last decade in and around Gladstone um, with regard to the construction of. LNG export facilities. Mm. This part of the electorate is industrial labour heartland. These are traditional labour voters. But they're also some of the same folks who did shift away from labour amid that really fraught debate about coal and climate that became a defining election story of 2019.
1: Mm, Right. So lots of blue-collar workers who traditionally vote for Labor who may have swung over to the LNP last election. You mentioned earlier that the conversation around climate change and the coal industry has changed in parts of Queensland. Has it changed in Gladstone, especially
0: for these types of workers? Absolutely, those conversations have changed. Um, There's a group called The Next Economy that's been doing uh, research. They've been having a lot of conversations with people in and around Gladstone and other regional communities. And they published a report last week that says people now really do acknowledge that a transition away from fossil fuels is inevitable. Mm. They're looking to have discussions about how we adapt, not whether we adapt. And that's something that was writ large in a lot of the conversations I had when I went to town. So you guys, local, workers' sort of sort of industry sector you're in? Or, um, the local industry, all of pretty much the Local industry? Local industry, yeah. So I was in Gladstone on Labor Day, and I went to the Labor Day march, which is, it's a big deal in Gladstone. There I was able to speak to a lot of blue-collar workers whose jobs... Absolutely, are reliant on the fossil fuel industry. And I wanted to know what they thought about these changing conversations. And and I wanted to know whether they, um, you know, had had come to a different view about energy transition over the last few years.
4: Because the seat of Flint stretches out so far. So they're taking a lot of fly-in, fly-out workers from Brisbane.
0: One of the people I spoke to here was Paul Higgins. Um, He's a manufacturing worker. He's also a Labor voter. He doesn't work directly on a coal mine. But, you know, his job and most people in the area... Um, their jobs are pretty dependent on the fossil fuel industry and it it's the main industry in town. Some of the like, conversations last time around, I mean obviously there was, uh, you know the LP did a good job of making coal kind of like the big kind of talking point but is it, you feel like it's been the same this time or? No, Probably not as much but yeah. people might be a little bit more educated it's not going to happen overnight. He said the conversation around coal has changed on board with like, you think transition is like an inevitable thing or is it something that people are still a bit sceptical about how it's all going to work? Sure. I think it's an inevitable thing. But, uh... So I also spoke to his friend and, and um, a fellow manufacturing workers union member, Adam Hamilton.
3: I think there's still a place for
0: coal. Like I think it needs to be a balance. He said that he thinks there is still a place for coal
3: sometimes they try and rush in the, yeah. the new clean energy and all that, that sort of stuff instead of slowly transitioning. He
0: was telling me that one of the fears among workers is that the transition will be rushed, that we will kind of make wholesale changes that leave people unable to pivot quickly enough. And, and it's a pretty common concern. Well, new
2: clean industries and just slow transition rather than cut off. coal gone, people lose their jobs and lose their livelihoods. Yeah, yeah. yeah people Worried
1: about that sort of stuff. So as we know, Ben, both Labor and the coalition are saying they won't close down coal mines, but they will provide new jobs in energy. Labor's focus is more on renewables rather than gas, which the coalition is backing quite hard. Has Labor's plan for that transition, which, as you said, these workers are concerned about, been heard? And how is it being received by these workers in Gladstone?
0: Yeah, I think it has. When you speak to people like Paul, who says there's still a place for coal about the energy transition. Absolutely, there's an acknowledgement that it's coming, but I think that there's a fear among people that it might come too quickly and and that the speed of that transition is going to be a problem in a place like Gladstone.
1: So it sounds like amongst some workers here there is a recognition this transition needs to happen, but just not too fast. But I imagine... Some people were not as open to this transition that you spoke to in Queensland.
0: No, no, ab- absolutely it's not. And I think that something that is at play broadly across the electorate of Flynn um, is the LNP's net zero commitment. So we, we know the LNP is committed to um, net zero by 2050 or, and that that's something that was a fraught conversation within the LNP. On the one hand, you have Scott Morrison, who's um, committed and reaffirmed uh, the target. Yeah, well, the net zero thing is all sort of dead anyway. It's all over. I mean, it's all over bar the shouting here. And on the other, you have people like National Senator Matt Canavan, who declared quite recently in the middle of the campaign that net zero target was dead.
3: I mean, Matt, Matt, Matt,
5: Matt, Matt. It was all calm. There was consensus on climate policy. And what do you do? You blow it up.
1: Look, Ali, my view should be no surprise to anybody. And if net zero is alive and kicking, why are European countries desperate for
4: our coal right now?
0: So when you talk to people, I think you realise that this issue could be as dangerous for the LNP as it was for Labor three years ago. Mm. And there are voters who are upset with the LNP about the fact that that story um, is being told very differently in the cities compared to regional Queensland.
1: Right, the coalition is the party that now seems divided on climate rather than, than Labor this time around.
0: Absolutely.
5: Well, I think that's the thing. It's, it's all mixed because we have a Prime Minister who, you know, and, and, and the party is sort of saying, oh, yes, we support mining and we support... But then we're going to... We're just doing this people-pleasing thing and we're trying to sit on the fence a bit and we're going to sign up to Net Zero 2050. And I'm like, you can't do both.
0: So one person I spoke to was Tish Ryder, who runs an engineering and mechanical business in Emerald, uh, about four hours west of Gladstone. So
5: I've been um, in Emerald 30 years, so nearly my whole life. Um, And I'm a mother as well, so I've got two kids, they're in school, we're involved in the community and we've got our business. I've always, you know, voted LNP. Um, And this year I'm not doing that
0: She's an LNP voter and she feels They've lost their way
5: I'm not doing that, I've decided already And I'll be voting I'm probably going to vote UAP Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah Tish said that She has conservative values Mm. So
5: now I'm looking, I, I want that In my political party, I want that In my leadership, I want that for our country's Leadership, but I can't find that In the LNP, so now I'm finding that in a different political party.
1: Next, the rise of the minor parties and the false divide between regional and metropolitan Queensland. It's interesting to hear that shift towards the United Australia Party because, as we know, nationwide people are drifting towards the minor parties. The polls are showing that the major party's primary vote could be a record low this election. Did you speak to many other people that were thinking of voting for minor parties like the United Australia Party?
0: Yeah, I did. Um, I spoke to several people, um, you know, more than a dozen, who had become disenfranchised with the major parties. A lot of them had been major party voters and were thinking of voting for other parties like the United Australia Party for the first time. There are a number of different reasons, but I think that um, one of the reasons why people do seem to be coalescing around some of these right-wing fringe parties are things like um, the COVID response. So whether that be debt or whether that be... um, vaccination mandates these these are things where people are seeing real differences in those minor parties compared to the major party positions
3: um it's they are aligning i think this is one of the most important elections in my time voting and they are aligning with um a lot of my values which have significantly changed in the last two
0: about an hour's drive to the west of gladstone is the town of Biloela, where I spoke to Cassandra Sorensen and Tamara Francis, who were having breakfast at a cafe in the town centre. Um,
3: I come from a family of union delegates and labour voters um, and there is no way in hell I'll ever vote for them
0: again. I spoke to them late morning and they told me they didn't have a huge amount of time to talk because they were about to drive to Rockhampton to hear Craig Kelly speak. Mm,
1: Craig Kelly was elected as a Liberal MP but defected to UAP and is now its leader and its only current representative in federal parliament, right, Ben?
0: Yes, yes, absolutely.
3: You know, the cafes and pubs here, if you get to talk to those owners,
0: were down 50%. And and for them, vaccine mandates were a big issue. In December, um,
3: because they mandated their staff, they had to sack staff that were perfectly healthy, um, amazing workers. Um, My son was one of them. Uh, His boss cried in his arms and just said, I've never had to sack someone um, like yourself.
0: Both Cassandra and Tamara say they're going to vote for the United Australia Party. The very first meeting
4: that we went to, and that was my decider in following the UAP, especially at that time. It wasn't that I hadn't already considered it.
0: Tamara even says she's joined the UAP.
4: It's the very first time in my life where I have joined a political party. um, And that was a deliberate thing. I come from um, a Labor background.
0: I think the momentum around those minor parties at the moment is pulling people into the political process a little bit more than they might otherwise have.
4: Surprisingly, I have also had a conversation with a couple of younger people who this is their very first election. And one young man. Yeah, 18. He just turned 18, so it's his first time that he's got to vote and he really was betwixt and between we were sitting one day we were having cups of tea and Vicky's would you believe he's such an old man and he actually told me that he's made up his mind and he is voting uap and i thought wow darling thank you so much and he said oh lots of reasons why it's not like he had
1: So, Ben, last election we know that Clive Palmer, who is kind of the figurehead of this party, spent $80 million during the election, but he ultimately achieved very little. He failed to win a single seat. And as we've reported in The Guardian recently, his party, now known as UAP, is once again outspending other parties, particularly in online advertising. Is that going to pay off this time? Is it looking likely that he might win any seats?
0: Look, I, I I think it is. Um, as you drive around these electorates, it's really hard not to notice the extent of the UAP presence. <laughs> we we were driving, I think, somewhere between Banana and Baralabar and took a little wrong turn onto a dirt road, and there suddenly there's this big, bright yellow United Australia Party sign. You know, we hadn't seen a we hadn't seen another car for about twenty five minutes, and yet here's this <laughs> big sign. You know, they're spending a lot of they're throwing a lot of money at this. So, I I mean, they've done that before, right? So it's really easy to dismiss them as a non-entity on past history, but having spent the best part of the past week on the ground in uh, places where there is a rather large third-party vote, it's clear that there is some real-world momentum this time around. Mm. I don't know that there's necessarily a big story of them hiving huge, huge numbers of voters away from the major parties, but if the UAP has manage to cement itself as the right-wing party of choice in electorates that do attract a significant minor party vote, that means Clive Palmer would then become the logical front runner for the last Senate quota in Queensland.
1: They could win a Senate seat in Queensland. Is that what you're saying there, Ben?
0: Yeah. If if Palmer does manage to um, corner the market there, that could be the end for Pauline Hanson's political career. So, we just really have to wait and see though.
1: So Ben, I think a lot of people might look at the state of Queensland and see a bit of a divide between the areas that you went to, places like Gladstone where the focus is on jobs and the risks of this transition to renewable energy and then the metro areas like Brisbane where the focus is more environmentally skewed and the Greens are really on the rise there. Is that a fair assumption to make, that the state is kind of divided and polarised in that way?
0: A lot of the political messaging kind of looks at Queensland as if there's this kind of binary between city Queenslanders and regional Queenslanders. But I've actually found, you know, the more I go to regional Queensland, that it is a lot more nuanced than that. Mm. So um, can you tell me a little bit about like what you see as the kind of the issues that you think are going to win your vote at the coming federal election?
2: Um, my vote in particular will be climate change and doing something about that. A recognition that our area is going to undergo massive change would be really great.
0: So one of the people I spoke to was Emma Smith. She's a teacher. Um, she lives just outside of Gladstone. Peti- like high school? High school. High school, mm-hmm. okay. So um, And for Emma, climate was a big factor in terms of swaying her vote. She says she's voting for the Greens and that real world concerns have become lost in this sort of phony city and regions debate.
2: I think a lot of people, we would just like a plan, like we would like people to tell us what's going on, like be upfront and say, look, these changes are going to come to your region. Here's what we think about how we could tackle them rather than just trying to, you know, just saying, well, the coal mines are going to be open for ages, so don't worry about it. (laughs) Which I think a lot of people realise is not necessarily the case, but we don't know what the other options are entirely.
0: People like Emma, who I spoke to through Regional Queensland, do say that they're kind of sick of the way that Regional Queenslanders get portrayed.
2: Politicians like, often like to say that we don't care about the same things as city people. Like, of course we do. We, you know, we read the same things... Um, we're part of the same world, like we do care about those things.
0: I think there are absolutely people in regional Queensland who care about climate change, who care about the environment and who have you know more complex concerns and whether that's housing whether that's health I think to pigeonhole and stereotype regional Queenslanders as kind of requiring a little bit more of a kind of a a blunt kind of political message is something that is starting to grate with certain people in those communities.
2: Yeah I think people get a little bit annoyed that we're just seen as a place that's some big holes in the ground a couple of good paddocks and some decent ports and that's about it but We're people and we're real communities and we deserve to be spoken to like we can be part of this change.
1: That was Emma Smith talking to Ben Smee, Guardian Australia's Queensland correspondent. You can check out all of Ben's reporting at TheGuardian.com, including his piece on Brisbane and another piece that looks at the research mentioned in this episode that shows many mining towns now accept the need for an energy transition in Queensland. We've linked to those on the Full Story page. This episode was produced by Joe Koning, who also did the sound design and mixing. The executive producers of Full Story are Gabrielle Jackson, Miles Muttonioni, and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. Okay. Catch you tomorrow.